everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Sean. And you're listening to Key to the Case. Welcome back or welcome to our show. We are happy to have all of you here listening. And today we'll be reviewing the oldest case we've ever covered and it's a local case. So if you're new here, Sean and I live in Kansas City and we haven't done any local cases outside of our first episode. So in this case, I actually drove out to one of the relevant locations that I was not familiar with. So Hopefully that will provide some interesting insight. Last thing to note is that we are taking next week off for the holidays. So there won't be an episode on November 26th, but we will be back on December 3rd. All right, let's get started. Loy Evitz was 29 years old at the time of her disappearance in 1977. Loy grew up in Coffeyville, which is a small town located in southeastern Kansas. Lori was shy growing up, and this shyness stuck with her throughout life. In fact, sometimes when people first met her, they thought she was a little unfriendly or closed off. But once they got to know her, they realized she was not unfriendly at all. She was a wonderful person to be around and a loyal friend. In Coffeyville, Loy met and began a relationship with a man named Don when she was 17 and he was 19. After Don earned his undergraduate degree from Pittsburgh State University, he joined the Army, first being stationed at a base in Missouri, then he was deployed in the Vietnam War. After high school, Loy moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where she began her education to become a nurse. Later, though, Loy switched paths and moved to Manhattan, Kansas, which is about a three and a half hour drive away from Coffeyville and she transferred to Kansas State University. We talked about Kansas State University in our first episode, but obviously in a completely different context. Loy earned a bachelor's degree in clothing and retailing. Her long-term goal was to become a buyer in the fashion industry. It's often stated that one of Loy's favorite pastimes was shopping. In particular, she enjoyed finding uh, unique antiques. Loy and Don maintained a long-distance relationship, and by all accounts, they had a loving relationship, and they married after seven years of dating. So even though after high school, they were kind of going different directions, from what I could find, they never broke up. They maintained their relationship that entire time. They moved to Overland Park, Kansas, a suburb of Kansas City. I couldn't find what prompted the move, but it seems likely that it was tied to work, With Coffeyville being a smaller town, I suspect they had better job opportunities in the Kansas City metro area. Although Loy aspired to work in the fashion industry, she settled for a job as a legal secretary a month or two before she disappeared. The law firm was located on the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City. The Country Club Plaza, which we will call the Plaza because that's how everyone refers to it, is a shopping center with restaurants and cafes. Yeah, I'm really familiar with the plaza. I lived there for two years after graduating from KU, University of Kansas. And to add some more context for our listeners, it's about five miles south of the main downtown Kansas City area. And if she lived in Overland Park, it would be probably a 20-minute drive for her to work. Right. Yeah, I think based on where they lived in Overland Park, it was probably about 20 minutes. So we're both pretty familiar with this area. So it made it interesting when researching this case, knowing where they were talking about. Although Loy hadn't been employed by the law firm for a long period, she established a reputation of being hardworking and reliable. 
A fellow legal secretary described Loy as being very nice, conscientious, and neat. And the neat part is something that will come up again. Don worked as an insurance auditor for Fireman's Fund located in downtown Kansas City, and shortly before Loy disappeared, he was promoted to premium audit manager. In Don's spare time, he enjoyed playing the guitar, golfing, and photography. He even collected photo albums that included some of his favorite memories caught on camera with Loy. And I'm sure Don cherished those pictures in the years that followed Loy's disappearance. Tuesday, February 28th, 1977, was a normal but busy workday for Loy. She worked through her typical lunch break because she was working on a particularly time-consuming project at that time. She finally left the office in her cherished bright yellow MGB GT sports car for a break a little after 2 p.m. When Loy hadn't returned to the office by 3 p.m., her coworkers weren't immediately alarmed. Loy had a tendency to work late, so they presumed if she spent a little extra time on her lunch break, she would make up for it by working into the evening. However, when she still hadn't shown up to the office by about 4.30 p.m., her coworkers feared that she had possibly gotten into a car accident. As some of the employees wrapped up their day, they made their way to their building's parking garage where they discovered Loy's car sitting in its designated spot. They were perplexed. Where could Loy be? Her car was there, which indicated she should be there, yet she was not. Their confusion morphed into concern, and they decided to call Dawn. Do you know if Loy went home for lunch most days for work? Because I would imagine she has the option since she lives so close to her work. Right. Good question. So I'll tell you that she didn't go home for lunch this day, and we'll find out how she spent her lunch break. I'm not sure what she typically did. But since she didn't go home this day, I'm kind of thinking maybe she just stayed in the area. Usually, I'm sure there's plenty of places or at that time, there'd be plenty of places to go get lunch. So she wouldn't necessarily need to go home. So Don had just walked into their shared home after work when he received the phone call from Loy's colleagues. They informed him of the situation and Don's first reaction was to call friends of Loy's. He hoped maybe she met up with a friend on a whim he learned one of her friends went to the movie theater located on the plaza, at which point he headed the plaza himself. Dawn crossed paths with this friend, but she was not with Loy, and she had no contact with Loy that day. So Dawn began walking the plaza. He went to the parking garage where her car was, and according to a 1977 article from the Kansas City Times, he walked around the area until midnight. And he accepted that lawyer was not in the area any longer. He notified police of her disappearance, but they explained to him that they couldn't begin investigating until Loy had been missing for 24 hours. Donna spoken out a lot about the disappearance of Loy, and he expressed how frantic he felt at that point. I can only imagine how painful those hours feel when you're waiting for the police to get involved, waiting for help, waiting for something. It probably feels like there's nothing you can do. From what I could tell, most of their family members still lived in Coffeeville, which is uh, about a three-hour drive away. Once police stepped in, they began to retrace Loy's steps. If they could find out how she spent her lunch break, they could possibly get one step closer to determining where she could have gone or what could have happened. Although Loy worked on the plaza, she drove that day for various errands around the area. I suspect she drove to save time that day. This was her lunch break, right? Not a 
leisurely day out shopping. And it's also reported that Loy loved her car. So it seems that she jumped at every opportunity to drive it. Loy's first stop was at Hellsberg's jewelry store where she had her watch adjusted, a watch that Dawn recently gifted her for Christmas. Loy then walked to Rothschild department store. From what I could find, she didn't make any purchases at this department store, but people recalled seeing her there. Next, Loy walked to another department store, Macy's. While she was there, she inquired about a plant, but again, it doesn't appear that she purchased anything at Macy's. She then returned to her car and headed to Skaggs Drugstore located in Westport, which sits just north of the plaza. This is where it really made sense to me that she would drive because this location, although it's only a mile and a half or 2.4 kilometers away, it's not really within walking distance when it's the middle of your workday. Loy purchased a cup of coffee and a yellow umbrella while at Skaggs, and it's presumed that she headed back to work after she left the drugstore. So this was all found from uh, the Kansas City Times article? Because this is a pretty detailed breakdown of her hour lunch break. I'm just surprised that there's a full itinerary of each spot that she hit. I know, it is really detailed. So it wasn't just the Kansas City Times article. A bunch of articles uh, from different news outlets reported on her schedule that day or how she spent her lunch break. And that was derived from police sharing that information. Now, what I gathered is that they know this because of witness accounts. People who worked at the places she went remembered seeing Loy and interacting with her. And I think they they got around pretty quickly to the businesses and asked people. So it was probably fresh in their mind. And maybe there were other witnesses who weren't employees of these places I initially thought it'd be from receipts in her car, but I didn't read anything about receipts being left behind. And and the yellow umbrella would be found in her car. So at least we know she purchased it that day and it had the tag on it, the Skaggs drugstore tag. So maybe that tipped them off to go to Skaggs. But yeah, I think it was mostly from witness accounts. And maybe as far as the watch goes, I don't know if this is the case, but maybe Dawn knew that she planned on getting it adjusted, or maybe she mentioned it to a coworker. So that could have been a good starting point. But yeah, I had the same thought. I'm like, how are they getting down, you know, all this information to the point where she's asking about a plant at Macy's? (laughs) It just seems so detailed, but it's helpful. It is to have this information. So as I said, Lloyd's car was found in the parking garage attached to her office building. She was parked in her standard spot on the fourth level, tucked away in the Northeast corner. According to the Kansas City Times, this parking garage was not heavily guarded or secured, and it was not well lit. There were no signs of a struggle or violence of any sort around Loy's car. There was no blood, the car was not damaged, and it was still unlocked. It was as if she got out of the car and vanished into thin air. You might expect that if someone grabbed Loy, maybe she would have dropped something out of her hand or from her purse, but that was not the case. Was it usual for her to leave her car unlocked? No, I don't believe so. So it kind of seems like she got out of the car and didn't even have time to lock her car before something happened. As I mentioned before, inside Lloyd's car, the yellow umbrella was uncovered with the tags still attached, as well as a donut bag, a rag used to wipe off the windshield, and the stem from a carnation Dawn had given her recently. 
I thought the stem was a little strange. I was wondering why it was just the stem and there were no petals. I don't think it fits into this case at all. It was just something I was curious about. Notably, Lloyd's purse was not found inside the car. When police talked with Lloyd's colleagues, one colleague also took a late lunch that day, and she noted that Lloyd's car was not in the parking garage around 2.30 p.m., but it was there around 3 p.m. So if she is correct, there's a pretty tight window in which something happened to Lloyd. Police, of course, started to dig through all aspects of Lloyd's life, but that yielded no clues. They couldn't find any disputes Lloyd had been involved in. She generally didn't have conflict with people. She didn't owe anyone money, and there was no evidence that she'd taken part in an extramarital affair. Also, there were no signs that Lloyd would leave voluntarily for any reason. So thankfully, despite the 24-hour waiting period that Dawn had to endure, it seemed police took her case seriously from the outset. Police made it clear early on that they believe Loy was most likely a victim of an abduction. Sergeant John Wilson, who supervised the missing persons unit, told the Kansas City Times in 1977, quote, this is the first saint I've ever seen. Everybody says she's perfect and I've hardly been able to disprove it, end quote. Twelve days after Loy disappeared, a man was in his home in a sparsely populated area of southeast Kansas City. His dog got loose that day, and his daughter, who was 10 years old, and her two cousins had just arrived home from searching for the family's poodle named Pierre. The children were playing when he noticed that they were playing with a purse that he didn't recognize. He got a closer look at the purse, and he observed that there were a number of credit cards, prescription medication, and a pair of sunglasses inside. He knew right away the purse could have been involved in a crime. In fact, he thought of Loy right away. Her disappearance was big news at the time, so it's not too surprising to learn that he he made that connection. How far away from the plaza did he live? So this location is about 13 miles or 21 kilometer drive away from the plaza. Okay. So he called the police, but in the meantime, he learned from the kids they found it while they were searching for the missing dog. More specifically, it was found under the Reinhardt Road Bridge that spans Little Cedar Creek in a fairly remote part of Kansas City. Their residence was just under an eighth of a mile away from the location of the purse. The purse was damp on one side, presumably from the creek. However, the other side was undamaged. The man who notified police suspected that based on its condition, it likely hadn't been out in the open for more than a day or two. Additionally, based on where the purse was found, it seemed that it was dropped from atop the structure, not that someone placed it there from the lower part. It was ultimately determined that this purse belonged to Loy. As I stated in the beginning, there was a relevant location in this case that I drove by because I wanted to get a sense of the area, and that was this spot. So Loy's purse being found here should tell us something. So I was actually at the plaza for something. I decided to drive to where her purse was found directly from there to see what that drive would be like. And it took about, I think, 25 minutes to get there. Now, there's no evidence that the driver or whoever put it there drove directly from the plaza to that spot. And the man whose daughter found the purse indicated it probably only been there for a day or two, like I said, but it's still possible. 
My biggest question was, is this a spot you can just stumble upon? And my answer is that would be highly unlikely. It's quite a remote and rural area. Now, it doesn't take, once you're there, it doesn't take too long to get to a more populated area. I mean, you could get back to a busier area in minutes, but the specific area in which the purse is found is more remote. When I drove by, I felt like I shouldn't even be in that area. There are some properties that are spread out and set kind of far back from the road. So it felt like the people who travel on that road most frequently are associated with those properties or that direct vicinity. Reinhard Road, where the purse was found, actually comes to an end shortly after the bridge when you're going north and you're forced to turn right at that point. So despite all of what I just said, I think it's also highly unlikely that someone would drop the purse that close to their residence. So while I think someone had to kind of be familiar with this area, it doesn't seem smart to leave it right by where you live. I'm sure he's not heavily involved in this case, but I found it a little odd how specific he was with the purse, just in the situation and you know where where it was situated in the creek and how long he thinks it was in the creek. I mean, it's been 12 days since her disappearance and he he thinks it's only in there for one day and he says you have to drop it from the top of the bridge to get it where it was. I don't know. I'm sure it's nothing, but I, I found that a little odd. Yeah, I thought it was a little odd too. I guess if the purse were there for the full 12 days, maybe it would have been more damaged, but I don't really know how you would make that estimation of one or two days so easily. And then I'm assuming his daughter showed him where they found it. And that's why they were thinking it was dropped from atop the structure. But I see where you're coming from. I agree. I don't think this guy had anything to do with it, but the observations were interesting. You know, my thinking is this person, whoever put it there, was familiar with the area or at least the surrounding areas. I later learned that this area was known at that time as being a lover's lane. So maybe the person had knowledge of this bridge for that reason. I also learned that it was not unusual for people to toss trash over the bridge. Did Lloyd know anyone in this area? No, not that I could find. Yeah, and they hadn't lived in Kansas City or in Overland Park for that long. So for her to know someone out there, I would guess it would be from work. But yeah, I don't think she actually knew anyone in this general vicinity. Once police learned where Loy's purse was found, a massive search of the area was conducted. I think many people feared that Loy would be found there since her purse was there. Although Sergeant Wilson acknowledged the idea that someone could have left the purse there to divert the investigation. The first search was about six hours long and involved 80 police officers on foot. A helicopter aided in the search and covered a much larger area. The search was somewhat thwarted by rain, and at times, investigators had to tromp through knee-high mud as well as thick brush. Loy was not found, but there were a couple of items that belonged to her that were recovered near where the purse was found. A pack of thin cigars that matched the brand Loy smoked, and part of a checkbook that had the name of Don Evitz on it were the two items recovered. So despite this huge search and the searches that followed, all they found that connected to Loy was right where the purse was discarded. Was there anything missing out of her purse that probably should have still been in there? 
No, I don't think so. All the reports that mentioned what was found, I didn't read anything that said anything was missing, anything of note. If that were the case, it's definitely been kept. uh, The police have kept that to themselves. That's how I would put it. Suddenly, about three weeks after Loy vanished, a 34-year-old man who lived in Grandview, Missouri, was arrested for writing fraudulent checks. Police first set their sights on this man when they traced anonymous calls they'd received about evidence in Loy's case back to him. Reportedly, this man made these calls to two businesses in Lee's Summit and the Lee Summit Police, and Lee Summit is just south of where the purse was found. I couldn't find what the businesses were. Seems strange to call businesses to drop clues about Lloyd's disappearance rather than only the police. So he already had an arrest warrant out there for the fraudulent checks. So the police used this for cause to arrest him and bring him in for questioning about Lloyd. Initially, the reports were a bit vague regarding the knowledge he claimed to have in relation to Lloyd's case, until the Kansas City Star reported that the person who made these anonymous calls claimed he killed and buried Loy. Police questioned this man extensively, and not only did he deny having any involvement in Loy's disappearance, he denied ever making anonymous phone calls about her case. But it was reportedly his statements that led police to dig up a quarter-mile section of Highway I-470 that was under construction in Lee Summit, because this was where she was allegedly buried. According to the Kansas City Times, police used gas detectors and infrared film in an attempt to detect methane gas or warmth from a decaying body, but there was no trace of Loy at this site. I'm not really sure how phones worked in 1977, but I'm assuming the police figured out a way to confirm that it it was his number that he'd called from making these wild claims. Yeah, I guess that's how they found him in the first place. And so just to confirm, he they arrested him on the fraudulent checks, right? Not not for saying that he murdered Loy, right? Yes. Okay. That was my understanding that they were able to arrest him because of that warrant that was out for the fraudulent checks. And then once they brought him in, they asked him the questions about Loy and he denied everything. So they ultimately released him due to a lack of evidence that he was involved. Sergeant Wilson said he couldn't dismiss him, but that he didn't think he was involved. He thought it was possible that he had knowledge of what happened to Loy, or maybe he was just an anonymous caller who believed police wouldn't be able to identify him. In case you're wondering, his address was given out and his home was located about 16 miles or 26 kilometers away from where Loy's purse was found, which equates to about a 20-minute drive today. So not a great distance away, but not right down the street by any means. Where he lived, I definitely wouldn't think he would be familiar with the area where the purse was found. And this man's house was searched, but nothing related to Loy was uncovered. I will tell you now that not much more came out about this guy, and he was never arrested again and never arrested in relation to Loy's disappearance. I'm curious about him. I would love to know more about him. If he didn't harm Loy, then did he just make everything up, assuming that it was him who made the phone calls? I'd be interested in the perspective of people who knew him, because if you're willing to lie about killing someone, I would think you have a tendency to lie in general. And with the fraudulent check charges too, I mean, that 
tells us something already about his character. What would he gain, though, from lying about this? Anonymously, you hear stories of people trying to take accountability for unsolved crimes that they had nothing to do with, but they typically tell someone directly, not anonymously. Yeah, maybe he was just bored, wanted a cheap thrill. But it, I mean, it, <laughs> does, it does speak to his character, just joking around, allegedly joking around that, that he murdered someone and buried her under a highway. Yeah, it's like, find something better to do. If he had nothing to do with this, then it's just bizarre. But people do this. He's not the first person in history to make weird phone calls like this. I suppose, alternatively, he could have wanted to help the police if he knew who was responsible. Maybe he got cold feet when they actually found out he likely made the calls. The last option is that he really was responsible I'd be curious to know his alibi for the day since there's a pretty short window in which Loy was most likely abducted. I hope they're able to establish an alibi for him. Around the same time of the dig that occurred on I-470, police searched two abandoned homes in Blue Springs, Missouri, located north of Lee Summit and north of where Loy's purse was found. They'd received a tip that Loy's name was painted on one of these homes and sure enough, they found Loy Evitts on an interior wall of the garage of one of these abandoned homes. They couldn't determine when her name was painted there. This is just another strange detail in this case. Investigators learned that young people frequently use the homes for parties, so it's possible that a teen spray-painted her name on the wall. And I said this before, but Lloyd's case was heavily reported on at that time. So I'm sure people all over the area heard about it. I still find it odd because I feel like teens are usually more interested in themselves and may not pay attention to news like this. Also, I'd like to know if there were more writings on the wall. If, if there were, it makes it less strange. But if it was the sole writing, then I'm more inclined to think it could mean something. Yeah, you mentioned it was heavily reported at that time. I'm sure the all the parents around the area were telling their kids to be safe since I'm assuming it was re- reported as an abduction case. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm assuming Loy was a heavy topic of discussion with everyone in that area at that time. Yeah. And the, the news kind of made a big deal to the fact that Loy was a beautiful woman. She was very attractive I tend to not, you know, make that the focus of our cases because I don't see the point. I'd rather focus on who the person was, right? But there could have been some weirdo who, because of that, really, you know, got fixated on her story or something. I don't know. But I kind of think the spray paint on this wall is just a red herring in this case. A couple of months into the investigation, the Kansas City Star reported that they were searching for a man who was seen by a delivery driver hastily leaving the parking garage where Lori's car was found around the same time she would have disappeared. The delivery driver explained that the man was driving a brown van and he drove so erratically that he almost collided with another vehicle. The driver even attempted to hide his face. Now, this seems extremely crucial to me. Police already thought that Loy was a victim of an abduction, so I can imagine this further cemented the idea for them. I think this detail could have been broadcast more clearly. In most articles that include this information, it's kind of buried in the middle of the story. 
this should have been part of the headline, if you ask me. If the news about this man were more clear and in your face, maybe people who were in that area that day could have recalled a man in a brown van who acted strangely. Police didn't feel hopeful that they would find this man because of the lack of details. However, there was another witness who spotted someone in the parking garage around the time Loy likely disappeared. Police eventually caught up with this person they believed who owned the car that was seen and arrested him, but he was later released. I have no idea how they had enough to arrest him simply because he had the same car as the car that was seen in the parking garage, but that's what happened. But he didn't seem to have any tie to her abduction. To your knowledge, did the police question the delivery driver any further? I don't know. It kind of seemed like they just got his sighting of the man driving the car. I think I know where you're going with this. What what are you thinking about the delivery driver? I don't know. Delivery drivers usually drive fairly large vehicles, right? Yeah. So they could be used (laughs) for an abduction. I don't know. It's kind of a conspiratorial take. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know where you're going, especially based on the timing of when this came out. It came out publicly a couple of months later, but I believe police had the information sooner than that, I would hope. Like, why would they wait to share this publicly? You need the public's help to identify that person. Yeah, maybe he was trying to get out in front of something. You know, once they released the information, someone else was in the garage and they they may have seen a delivery driver driving a large delivery (laughs) van. I don't know. Yeah, but then I would, I guess think, wouldn't he have at that point not shown up for the rest of his workday? That's what I keep going back to in this case is this tight window. Like, was there anybody who suddenly didn't show up to work that afternoon or go back to work? Because if they abducted Loy, maybe they weren't working that day. Maybe they worked a different type of schedule. So they weren't expected to be anywhere. But I'm wondering if there's someone who suddenly should have been somewhere that afternoon and then they weren't. So over the years, there were a few sightings of Loy, but they were never confirmed. There was one instance where a woman was on a walk with her dog, and she came across women's undergarments with brownish, reddish stains around three miles from where Loy's purse was found. Obviously concerning to find that. And they also had, there were also like cuts on the undergarments. But it was determined that these did not belong to Loy. Police still searched the area, but found no signs of her. Additionally, when unidentified remains have shown up in Jackson County, where Loy disappeared from, they have been compared to Loy, yet they have never been a match. And there have been several instances where this was directly reported on, that they found unidentified remains and they were being compared to Loy, but there have been plenty of other similar instances where bodies were found all over the country that were compared to Loy that weren't necessarily reported on every single time. In 1987, 10 years after Loy went missing, her mother told the Kansas City Star that she wished she knew more about her daughter's thoughts and feelings leading up to her vanishing. Shortly before she disappeared, Loy apparently had a premonition that something was going to happen to cause her death. A friend of Loy's had a bad dream that something bad was going to happen to Loy, and she shared that with her. So it's not necessarily that Loy had this bad feeling out of nowhere. Her friend's dream prompted this concern. According to Loy's mom, she even pointed out to Dawn a cemetery where she'd want her grave to be. 
I can't imagine having that feeling. It must have been pretty overpowering for Lloyd to point out a cemetery. Lloyd's mother passed away in 2008 at the age of 97, never having learned what happened to her daughter. Another odd detail in this case is that authorities were never able to acquire Lloyd's fingerprints. According to police, they dusted her car for fingerprints, but drew a blank. They then checked her cosmetic cases, but those have been wiped clean as well. I said in the beginning that Loy was a neat and tidy person, so I suppose it's not too strange that her prints weren't on her cosmetic cases. I believe she was known to clean those off, but to not be anywhere in the car, that doesn't make sense. Also, why would they give up at that point? Yeah, I was going to ask, did, did they even try to go to her home and find some fingerprints on the doorknob or anywhere? No, apparently not. It sounded like they just checked her car and their cosmetic cases, maybe her desk at work, and they were like, oh, can't find them. Because certainly her fingerprints would be in her house. There's no way they wouldn't be on at least a few services within her home, no matter how clean you are. It's kind of strange that there are zero fingerprints in the car, though. I mean, I know it's February and I'm assuming she's wearing gloves a lot of the time. She doesn't have that long of a drive to where, you know, she'd warm up and then take the gloves off. She's probably keeping them on the whole time she's driving, but still kind of weird. It seems like someone wiped it down. Potentially. Yeah. yeah. The gloves, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of, thought of that. It was probably pretty cold and, but I'm also thinking about the wipe down. I can see the abductor, wiping down the outside of the car. Maybe if something happened, they touched it, they wanted to wipe the outside. I kind of am not thinking something happened inside the car, but if I'm wrong, then yeah, maybe they did wipe the inside down so they wouldn't leave any of their own prints behind. And in doing so, they removed hers. But the reason I'm thinking it happened outside is I'm kind of picturing Loy parking, getting out of her car, grabbing her purse, and then not even having a chance to lock the car. And then the person came up and grabbed her then. Maybe her, her car was the mode of transportation for the abduction. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Maybe someone forced their way with a weapon or something and forced her to drive somewhere. Or they took over the wheel and they drove somewhere. And then... Well, then why would they take her back to her place of work? Like, why would they leave her car there? I don't think they brought her back. I think they brought the car back. Well, this is just kind of a theory, but they would have taken her over a car, you know, drove X amount of miles away, five minutes away, 10 minutes away or something and killed her, drove her car back. And, you know, they must have been surveilling her if this is the case because they would have to know where she parks and uh, where she works. So maybe they did that and then drove back to her parking garage to drop the car off to draw less suspicions if her car's still there versus if it's completely gone, then it might extend the timeline a little bit. Yeah, I suppose. I think um, you're right that the person, if this were the case, they'd have to be watching her. They would have to know exactly which spot she parked in because I guess she always parked in the same spot. My main issue with this theory is just the timeline. I think, you know, it seemed like something happened to her in a pretty short period since she left a little after two and then her car was back at three, we're talking about a tight window here. But yeah, I can see that theory. Despite the fact that leads slowed to a trickle in the years after Loy vanished, 
Sergeant Wilson still had hope that Loy would be found. He believed that it'd be somewhere where construction was being done. He also told the Kansas City Star that he found Loy to be exceedingly complex. Quote, she was a person with many different faces. Everybody talked about her in a different way. One is a married woman, one is an independent woman, one is an enterprising woman. I had four photographs of her and each photograph looked like a different person, end quote. I thought this was an interesting comment because it doesn't sound that complex to me. I think as people, we have different sides. And of course, people who are friends with Loy or work with her or knew her when she was younger, et cetera, et cetera, are all going to have a bit of a different view of her. You can be married, independent, and enterprising all at the same time, in my opinion. Maybe I'm simplifying the situation. Maybe I totally missed his point, but I wasn't sure what he was getting at. Did it make the investigation more difficult? I don't know. Maybe. Dom seemed to have settled into the fact that Loy was never going to return alive fairly soon after she disappeared. He desperately wanted her back, but to me, he seemed to be a pretty realistic person. He told the Kansas City Star in May 1977 that, of course, he hoped that Loy would return alive and well, but that, quote, I've been pretty well convinced all along that she was kidnapped and murdered, end quote. So it came as no surprise when Don worked with an attorney to request Loy be declared legally dead after she had been missing for seven years. Don described this action as a settlement of the estate. He said it didn't give him any more peace of mind because by that point, as dark as it is, he said he believed she was dead and buried somewhere. Loy was officially declared dead in May 1984, but there were some issues with Don receiving the full payout that he was owed. Don worked with an attorney to file a lawsuit against the life insurance company that he claimed refused to distribute the full benefits. The lawsuit stated that this company wouldn't pay the full benefits because no body was found. The Kansas City Star reported in 1984, quote, the petition describes the company's action as extreme and outrageous conduct, which goes beyond the bounds of decency and is so intolerable that Mr. Evitz deserves actual and punitive damages in excess of $10,000 to restrain the defendant and other insurance companies from similar actions in the future, end quote. That is a powerful statement, and I tried to find a follow-up on where the lawsuit went, but I couldn't find much. I suspect they reached some sort of settlement. I don't think he ever mentioned if Don was looked at at all. Was he? Yeah. So he, the police did look at him as a suspect or they didn't look at him as a suspect. They looked into him as a possible suspect and he's not considered one today. And as far as I know, he's never been considered a suspect. He underwent a three hour long polygraph back when Loy disappeared and the results satisfied police but I suspect he had an alibi as well because as I keep saying, this was a tight window. We believe he was at work that day when he got home and got that phone call, he was coming home from work. So I think if he was mysteriously gone for longer than he should have been from work, his coworkers would have shared that with police and he would be looked at a little more closely. One of the more heartbreaking aspects of this story outside of the fact that Loy disappeared and was never found, is the effect it had on Don. Don explained that he and Loy relied on each other emotionally, so there was a gaping hole in his life when she was gone. 
Don told the Kansas City Star in a 2017 interview that he started drinking at Westport bars about a year after the disappearance. He said that the drinking even cost him a couple of jobs and that he tried to remain strong, but when he was alone, he cried. And he was likely alone a lot. Don never seriously dated again, and he never remarried in the 46 years it's been. I think that's a testament to his love for Loy. Not that people who do remarry didn't love the person they lost. It's just that it's easy for me to see how Don never moved on. But not only that, in the early days, weeks, and months after Loy went missing, family and friends often came by to see him. But at a certain point, he explained that he felt he was starting to make people uncomfortable. I don't know if they were uncomfortable, but he felt like people just felt a little uncomfortable around him, which is just devastating. I mean, so that anyone abandoned him, the visits just slowed. In 2017, he even still lived in the house he and Loy shared together in 1977. If he felt that Loy was his life partner, it would never be the same with anyone else. He distracted himself from the pain in healthier ways by constructing train sets and playing the guitar. Although it has been 46 years, Don remains cautiously optimistic that someone with information will come forward one day. But as of now, the case is suspended pending further information, and it remains the oldest unsolved missing person case in Kansas City. Although the case is suspended, police retrieved samples of Loy's DNA, which were entered into a national database in case her remains were found and hair from one of Loy's hairbrushes was collected. So Dawn still had her hairbrushes. The prominent theory in this case, which we've already discussed, is that Loy was abducted that day and likely murdered. There are no suspects or persons of interest at this time. I have wondered if maybe Loy had a stalker unbeknownst to her, Because I think if she had one and she knew about it, she would have told people. Maybe someone had been watching her, maybe someone who worked in the same area as her, and they could have been waiting for a chance to abduct her. As you mentioned, this could have been someone who was familiar with her and familiar with where she worked, but maybe she wasn't familiar with them. Or maybe this was just a crime of opportunity by a completely random person. It's possible the person saw her leave Skaggs Drugstore and followed her. Once she parked in the parking garage and got out of her car, they pulled up and grabbed her before she could even have a thought. With each case we cover, I'm always asking myself, who holds the key to the case? Hence the name of our podcast. Who can solve this? And with older cases, time is working against you. But in some ways, maybe someone who is getting older who has information would be willing to share it now. But I think if the perpetrator in this case, is no longer alive, they might still be alive, Uh, then the person who holds the key could be someone who was given information from that person or possibly someone who saw something that day. Maybe a neighbor saw their neighbor with a brown van acting oddly and they just brushed it off. You never know. We also don't know for sure if the brown van was accurate. Bottom line, this case hinges on either someone finally coming forward or Loy finally being found. Yeah, it kind of seems most likely that it was a random abduction and murder. Um, kind of wondering what uh, the law firm did that she worked for. Would it, you know, was it, did she work for a criminal prosecutor and that lawyer put someone into jail and they got out and they wanted, they wanted revenge or something and they knew that Loy worked for that law firm? 
I don't know. That's kind of kind of just a wild take. I don't know if you were able to find uh, what type of law they practiced, but yeah, I believe they did more civil lit- litigation, not criminal. But I could still see your theory. Like I could get on board with maybe there was a connection between the law firm in some way and Loy's disappearance. Speaking of the law firm, they established uh, a scholarship in her name for the education of police officers at Rockhurst University in Kansas City. The fund was in appreciation of the police work in Loy's case. Loy's memory lives on, and although people are getting older who knew Loy, you can tell they remember her as if she were here yesterday. If you have any information related to Loy's disappearance, you can contact the Kansas City Police Department at 816-234-5136. As a reminder, you guys can find us on Instagram at Key to the Case Podcast and through our email at keytothecase at gmail.com. Also, if you could give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening that allows you to rate, we would really appreciate that. That's all we have today, but we'll be back next week with an all new case. Bye. Bye.